welcome to episode 65 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie, and if this is your first listen to the podcast, welcome. This is a safe place for you to hear more about other people struggling to conceive, however their path has gone. You'll also hear from experts related to the fertility industry, people that are wanting to help and share their experience for you if you have found that your route to parenthood hasn't been straightforward and my background is having had successful fertility treatment in 2014 and a background in radio and broadcasting I decided to make this podcast and two years down the line we're at episode 65. Now I'm going to do something right now that I haven't done before and hope to do more of because my previous episode if you're listening to this chronologically episode 64 was a chat with Tasha Bishop who's a fascinating young woman. She was diagnosed with Rokitansky syndrome at 16. She's 19 now and she shared a story and what she faces as far as her future having a family and also talked about a project she's doing, the Pants Project. All the details are on the show notes which are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash Tasha. Now I had a lovely email from Tasha's mum who asked if I would give a big shout out to everybody at the MRKH team at Queen Charlotte's Hospital which is in London. She says they've been nothing short of amazing and it was sheer fluke that I found them. There are only two hospitals in the world who deal with this syndrome. One is in Boston and the other is in London in Charing Cross who also offer treatment but it's very invasive. Now the team consists of two gynaecologists, Nula who's a specialist nurse and a psychiatrist and Bella goes on to talk about how amazing they were supporting Tasha because that's where she had her diagnosis. Now the reason that Bella actually emailed me was lovely. She thanked me for the way that I'd spoken with Tasha and dealt with her story which of course is incredibly sensitive but Bella wanted me to just clarify something that I don't think I'd made clear in the podcast and this was the likelihood of Tasha ever being able to birth her own child because that is pretty remote. To explain, in order for it to happen, Tasha would have to have IVF for a year and then a womb transplant. And they've only just started trialling cadaverous womb transplants in the UK, which is very exciting, but is quite a way off from being a viable option for Tasha. So if she did have a transplant, they would have to remove the womb after birth and the birth would be a caesarean. So it's more likely that Tasha is going to go through IVF surrogacy if and when she decides that she'd like to have her child or of course she has the option to adopt. So I wanted to just clarify that from Bella on behalf of Tasha, in case you're listening to this podcast, having also been diagnosed with Rokitansky and there was any confusion in the way that I was discussing this with Tasha, because in all fairness, it was a learning curve for me as this podcast is. And I'm always keen for your feedback. I'll give you all my contact details at the end of this episode. Now, following on from that email, something else that I've not done before is use the podcast to be as reactive as it can be, which is the brilliance of audio. And I'm now going to introduce Anya Sizer, who she's been on the podcast before. Anya works for Fertility Network UK and was tweeting about an issue happening in Parliament in the UK this week, the 19th of January. And since this podcast is going out on the 17th of January, I'm using the opportunity to go live to Anya to have a quick chat about what's going on. Anya, hello and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, thank you for having me. I didn't tell you actually, last time I spoke to you at the Fertility Show, I then missed my train back up to Manchester. 
<laughs> but it was worth the chat. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, it did turn into quite an epic chat, wasn't it? I, I was thinking 30 seconds grab me and then we just chatted and chatted. So, and you know um, I was two minutes late for my train. Next time, halfway through the sentence, just, just go. Yes, I will do. Luckily, there's no train to catch now because we're using the yeah. power of the internet. But let's just touch base on what's happening in Parliament this Thursday in the UK. Yes. So a lovely MP has sort of spearheaded, I think as a reaction to being contacted by quite a few of his constituents, he's spearheaded a debate on the commissioning of IVF treatment throughout the UK. So looking at the fact that at the moment it is very much in England a postcode lottery um, as to where you are and what provision you're entitled to for IVF. Um, And Steve McCabe has very kindly, um, very bravely decided that this needs to be discussed and taken further. And he set up a live Facebook chat yesterday, which was very popular and many, many people were interacting and putting their thoughts and ideas about the issues out there. He's collating all of that to bring to this debate on Thursday with the idea of really getting people to start thinking why it's so um, unjust at the moment. Because for people in the UK and listening at at this point in time in January in 2016, they will know that the news headlines are full of the the issues affecting the NHS. And only the other day we had uh, stories of cancer operations being cancelled. So... This is going to be a really tough one for him when people will look, as we know, at infertility treatment in some ways as a, dare I say it, luxury, which we know is absolute nonsense. Yes. How do you feel it's going to go? Well, I'm hoping it's really not just the start of a conversation, because I think actually behind the scenes there are an awful lot of people already doing things, such as the Fertility Fairness team. I think there are moves towards making it more streamlined, making it more fair. But what I'm hoping is that it just raises the profile that bit more. Um, It gets people thinking a little bit more um, and, and trying to work out why there's such a massive discrepancy between what NICE have very, very clearly said and what's happening in reality. And I think what you touched on is absolutely spot on in that it's sort of seen as a soft touch. It's sort of seen as an easy target because there's a wrong concept of what fertility treatment is. And unfortunately, for some people, it is still seen as a lifestyle option and it is seen as not as important as other things. The fact that the World Health Organization describes it as a disease is being bypassed. And I think at the end of the day, actually what's happening is it's quite political. I think it's an easy target to say, right, we'll cut funding from this area and it makes it look like something's happening. But actually the effects on the one in six couples going through infertility are massive, really far reaching. Because just to really quickly explain for anybody that's come to this podcast, maybe just discovering that they need to have fertility treatment and they're hearing about the postcode lottery, what we're talking about is different councils across the UK having different options, let's call them, for people to have access to their fertility treatment. So the guidelines have been three rounds that people are eligible to. Yes, the the guidelines say that if the couple is eligible, so they meet certain criteria, that they should be entitled to three cycles of IVF on the NHS. Now, Scotland have managed to do this. So when we talk about the UK, 
actually Scotland are managing to do this. They have streamlined it and there is fair and right provision of um, fertility treatment to people across the board. It's England that is really postcode lottery at the moment and, and CCGs are sort of determining for themselves their own sets of criteria and not really looking to the body of work that NICE have already done. Do you think it's likely that with all the crisis talks that are going on within the NHS that a decision to regulate what the CCGs are doing when it comes to fertility treatment could happen this year? Or do you think it's a, a still a, an ongoing battle? I really hope so. I think it is an ongoing battle because I think you've got the problem of public perception. And as I said before, I think it's seen as an easy cut when there's so many scare headlines about the state of the NHS anyway. I'm hoping there's, there's, a, there's a change coming. I really do. Because at the moment, what you have is a two-tier system. You have a few people who are able to access some IVF on the NHS, but you have increasingly people who are forced down a private route if they can afford it and the problem being that many many people cannot afford it now there is an argument about does everyone have the right to a child but certainly i'd say most people have the right to try for a child and as ivf is getting cut i mean at the moment we're waiting on i think it's 23 ccgs are considering cutting if you live in an area that is going to cut ivf provision and you don't have the the money behind you to pay for private care, then that whole option of trying to be a parent through conception is taken away from you. That is that is unjust. It's unfair. Anya, we'll leave it there, and we will talk again post the debate and see whether there's been any movement. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. So the next lady we're going to chat to is somebody else that I've met on Twitter, Jennifer Frappier, who has made a documentary about freezing her eggs. Now, I've not seen the documentary yet. It's kind of quite exclusively being shared amongst the festival circuit, which Jenny will explain in more detail. So if you are in a place right now where you're thinking egg freezing could be an option, or maybe you know somebody who this could be of interest to, have a listen to what Jenny explains that uh, she's gone and created with this really fascinating project. We're going to go stateside, we're going to LA to have a chat with a lovely lady, a curly and proud lady who I kind of honed in on Twitter after I saw her profile picture. So I'm going to welcome Jenny Frappier. Jenny, welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me. Finally, we managed to pin each other down with, with the eight hour time difference. I was really interested to chat with you about your story and your documentary because you have made a documentary about your decision to freeze your eggs. I was in a time in my life where I was kind of freaking out, I guess you could say. Um, I had been dating someone for three years and I thought that we were going to get married. I was 35 and uh, we didn't, I realized that we didn't want the same things, which were to get married and have a family, even though that's something that we had already discussed. And so I decided that I wanted to end the relationship because uh, ultimately that wasn't going to be what I wanted. That's very brave. (laughs) It was so scary. And I I think that uh, I kind of went into a little bit of a panic mode. So I was going to therapy and I was talking to my therapist about marriage and family. And at the time, I just felt like I was behind, you know, um, being in Los Angeles at age 35 and being single really isn't a big deal because in LA and New York, you know, it's not as a big of a deal, but the majority of my friends and family, um, like my cousins and everything, 
you know, they're married and they have two plus children. So, um, you know, I, I chose a different path and I started that later in life, but, um, I was just in a place in my life where I didn't really imagine that I would be. So my therapist said, have you ever heard of egg freezing? And I said, no. And she's like, oh, you might want to look into it. So I went home and I started researching it. And I basically spent the next (laughs) week just reading everything I possibly could about egg freezing. And it really made a lot of sense to me. So I made an appointment with the fertility doctor and I went in and when they, you know, explained it to me scientifically, I just felt like this makes sense. I'm in a financial position. I can do this right now. And if I don't do it, I feel like I'll regret it. So I decided to freeze my eggs. And then when I was telling my friends, they were saying like, oh, I'd really like to know more about this. Are you going to blog? And I said, well, actually, I am going to blog during the time. And then I started thinking like, well, if I'm going to blog, I might as well vlog because video logging is much easier than blogging, (laughs) you know? And then I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to vlog, I might as well make a documentary. Of course, I had no idea what I was saying when I said that because it's really hard work. But that's really how it just kind of snowballed into an actual project. Let's just take a little step back you've made the documentary which I want to talk about but as you sat in front of the doctor talking about the whole process and you said you were financially in a position I mean were you surprised at the cost did you uh, you said you've been kind of researching it so did you have an idea in your head about the cost because I think from from the conversations I've had with friends in the UK who are single and aren't with the right guy that it's a it's a big expense and it's whether or not they're ready right well with everything I read I knew it was going to cost anywhere between 10 and fifteen thousand dollars um, at the time when I decided to freeze my eggs it still was considered experimental I was also a little nervous about that by the time I actually froze my eggs that um, label had been lifted and I think once that label got lifted, it kind of made things a little, I don't want to say cheaper, but yeah, it kind of did make things a little cheaper. So how long from the thinking about it and having that initial chat to you freezing your eggs, what, what time frame are we talking? I decided I was going to freeze my eggs and do the project in December of 2011, I believe. And then I actually froze my eggs in August of 2012. Um, part of that was I had started the egg freezing process and um, my grandfather got really sick. So I decided not to continue um, because I wanted to go see him. And I'm glad I did because he ended up passing away. I'm sorry to hear. I was very glad that I was able to see him though. So that was pretty amazing. I did start the process again and um, I had this monster follicle that um, was hogging all the hormones. So I had to stop taking the shots and allow my body to reset. And then the I, when I started the next time, that's when... Um, I actually, you know, went, was able to go through the entire process and get the eggs retrieved and everything like that. The interesting part about that is I, I, I don't know why I didn't realize how delicate our bodies are when it has to do with stress and things like that. But my follicle count, because I was so stressed about my grandfather, was actually lower than normal. So it really wouldn't have been a great time for me to freeze my eggs anyway. Mm. A few months later, 
with less stress, you know, my follicle count was a little bit higher. So it actually ended up working out to my benefit. Well, I mean, I like to put the emphasis on kind of well-being with all the stuff I talk about in this podcast, because I do believe it has a huge impact in, in when you're going through fertility treatment. And some of the wording that you've written about um, the, the the film that you've made, you've talked about, I don't know whether this is, these are your words or whether this is a, a review, talking about it being more of a mindset than a film. Um and I love that. I love that anything to do with your route to parenthood, I personally think it is a mindset because if you found that you've not really got the path that you'd expected and you're going to have to take measures in in your case, you've made a really bold decision. It, it does become a massive part of, of who you are. And I, I'm, I'm interested. You said that your friends kind of received it really well. I'm really interested. Was there any negativity from any of your peer group or your family my friends because I think you know most of us are the, around the same age and we're really kind of in the same position they were more curious about it and they were very positive and supportive I come from a very conservative family my mother is one of ten my you know a conservative Catholic family and she's number six of ten I'm the third oldest of 35 grandchildren so the, so the fact that right now at my age that I don't even have kids is kind of like interesting for our family, you know? And I think my family was very supportive. It took a few people a little bit of time to come around because they don't, they couldn't understand why I would do something like this. They felt like it was something very drastic, and but, you um, you, and you told you, you made, you were very open about it with your family. You told everybody. I did. I was very open about it, especially because I wanted people to ask me questions if they had questions they wanted to ask. If they wanted to debate about it, I mean, that was fine, but it wasn't going to change my decision. You know, I made my decision. I know and I knew why I was doing it, and I felt like it was the best choice for me. My egg freezing might not be the best choice for everyone, you know, yeah. but I knew that it was something that was right for me. And I think because I had done so much research and I was so passionate and open about it, I really just think my family was like, well, you know, we're just going to stand behind her. And the majority of my family, uh, you know, actually is fine with my decision. Um, some of them, I know that they're uncomfortable about it because of religious reasons, but they haven't said anything negative to me or about me. It's just something that they wouldn't choose to do themselves. Yeah, that's fair enough, isn't it? You can't please everybody. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's a short film. Yes, it's a 20-minute short doc. And you completed it in 2016 yes uh the editing process was much longer than i expected um there were uh just a lot of changes and kind of ups and downs and money that was spent and more money that needed to be earned and <laughs> to, to spend yeah it was difficult i kind of felt like oh my gosh is this ever gonna happen the initial idea was to make it a feature but one of the main reasons i made it a short was because I wanted to get the story out there and for people to be able to see what it was like. And I also know that the, the science is changing, you know? So I wanted to make sure that at least the story was out there. My grand plan is to actually have this be a feature. Last year, I decided that um, I am going to be a single mom. Okay. So congratulations. <laughs> thank you. So the feature would include 
me, you know, my life before egg freezing, the egg freezing, and then the process of me being a single mom. And hopefully, you know, one day of me actually showing my future child. So that's the grand plan. (laughs) This is exciting because I was going to ask you how you felt about this decision when it comes to the conversations you have with you know a a new boyfriend a future baby daddy I mean when do you bring it up do you bring it up at the start do you bring it up in the middle it must play on your mind a bit well um you know I did write a blog about um kind of like hi I froze my eggs too soon you know (laughs) like because it is kind of hard to tell when you should talk about it with someone that you're dating because you know, you might go on two dates and you're not really sure how much you like them. So you don't want to like give too much information and freak them out, you know? And once people know my last name, actually, they can Google me. And, you know, I have an, uh, there was an article in the LA times about the film and about my egg freezing story. So there's not really a lot I can hide from. And when I really thought about it, I just felt like, you know, if the person is the right person for me, no matter when I tell them, it's not going to matter as long as I tell them, you know, this is something that's a part of me. It's not going to change. It's part of my past and it is, and could be part of my future. You know, I would love to be able to find uh, a partner and get married and have a family, but things don't always work out how we think they're going to work out. So I have always thought that I would be a mother and I have wanted to be a mother. So for me, I just feel like I'm going to allow myself to do that regardless of whether I have a partner, whether it's in a committed relationship or if I'm married or not. Some men are freaked out by it, but some men are actually very much intrigued by the science of egg freezing. Um, When I decided to freeze my eggs, Um, I had been on two dates with someone and I had already decided before I met them that I was going to do this. And I knew that I had to tell him and I was like, so I didn't, I wasn't really sure how to bring it up. And I knew that I liked him, but you know, you can't really hide giving yourself, uh, fertility shots twice a day. Like I didn't want him to think I was like some type of drug addict or something. (laughs) So I just was like, I need to have a conversation with you and it's kind of going to be uncomfortable, but I'm just going to talk about it. And he said, okay. And I told him like, I've decided to freeze my eggs before I met you and it's going to be happening in in a month. And I just wanted to let you know. And if you have any questions about it, you can ask me. I'm completely open. And then he was like, wow, I think that's a really smart idea. And that was kind of it. He didn't ask a lot of questions. He went, he went home, you know, Googled it. And then he asked me a few questions like a couple days later and and that was it. He was very supportive the entire time. But but you're not with him now? No, we actually dated for three years, but um, we are not together anymore. When I met him, I was 35 turning 36. And when we broke up, I was 38 getting ready to turn 39. And the first thing I thought was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness I froze my egg. Yeah. Because I would have been like, okay, I'm going to wait. This might be the person I'm going to be with. I would have lost those three years of like fertility, basically. You know, my frozen eggs are at the age of 36. Yeah. 
I mean, it's such a kind of practical thing to do, and I really admire you for it. I mean, I'm in a position where we had fertility treatment when I was 36, and I do have some frozen eggs from our successful treatment. So I'm 39, 40 this year, and I've had a whole thing about wanting to have number two by the time I'm 40. But actually, I keep telling myself in the stress of it all, not that it's a big stress, but it's something that plays on my mind, that the eggs are 36. Right. (laughs) Remembering that. And I think, like you say, you just don't want to have any regrets I guess and I think I I really take my hat off to you about it you've got quite a lot of awards or are they nominations there's been a lot of short film festivals that the film's been shown in you must be really chuffed about all of that I'm very excited it was exciting to make the film and it was hard work and of course I wanted I wanted to make it because I wanted other people to have someone to identify with but it's even more exciting when you're super vulnerable and you get to use your creativity and then you win awards and people like it. (laughs) So that's uh, definitely really exciting because I had no idea how people really were going to respond. And I've had a really positive response, you know, for every thing time it's been accepted too. I do also get a lot of rejections. So that's still something that I do have to deal with, but I kind of feel like, you know, it's going to end up, in the place that it's meant to end up. And the whole reason I made the film is for women to be encouraged and know that they're not alone. And the more people that get to see that and be a part of the story, the better. Well, this is it. And the wonders of the internet is that people who need fertility treatment or are looking for anything to do with their fertility are so aware they're so into dr google and they will they will like you say you spent a week they will search and search so like i try to do with this podcast like you're trying to do with your film if you can get it out there and people can consume it easily then you know you give yourself a little pat on the back don't you right definitely (laughs) people listening to the fertility podcast get to see your film because i know there's a little trailer on your website um, but apart from that, if people aren't in the States, what what's the kind of plan for the short film? Well, right now it's in the festival process. I have submitted to some festivals in the UK and, um, you know, I didn't get accepted to the ones I, I uh, submitted to, which is okay. But I'm still going through the festival process. I told myself I would I would give my chill a year on the festival circuit, you know, submitting and going and doing um, Q&A and all that stuff. So I'm halfway through my year and I feel like it's done awesome. So I'm really excited about that. So once the year is up, the plan would really be to do something like an Amazon Prime or a video on demand uh, through um, Vimeo or something like that. But right now it just has limited screenings through the festival process. Cause you know, once you put it on the internet, yeah. like it doesn't really qualify for a lot of festivals because it's already out there and if it's already out there then people won't come and see it cool no I completely get that gone into what we can expect from the film do you want to just tell me a bit about what we can expect from the film so I what the one thing that I wanted for chill to be is for me to be as vulnerable and raw and natural Jenny like who I am as possible that was easy for me to do during the process but then when the editing process came I was like oh my gosh this is really me what if people hate it you know (laughs) so it's really kind of scary to like put so much out there but um, I really wanted people to be able to connect with me as a woman and as a human being and I wanted people to know like look you are not alone I'm literally going through this and you are 
taking this journey with me. So a lot of it is um, like I did daily video logs. So there's pieces of those. And then I had a camera, you know, follow me to the fertility clinic. And when I had the egg retrieval and I just tried to be as really as open as possible about my life. So it's literally, you know, I mean, a documentary is, you know, from people's lives, but there's no like reenactment or anything. Everything that's happening is happening um, as it is happening, like in the timing that it was happening. So I really just wanted it to be as raw and vulnerable as possible. I've had a handful of people say thank you for, for doing that. And one thing that I was trying to do is, you know, because it's medical, I was trying to find a balance between the medical information and showing me as a human being. And um, because there is, you know, there's a story there with yeah. me just being a person. But the medical information, you, you know, you don't want to overload people with that too much. Obviously, you want to share that because it's important, but you don't want people to get bored you know, because maybe they might not understand. So there was a fine line of um, including important medical information, but not having so much that people kind of turned their brains off because they were hearing terms that they weren't aware of. I did my best to um, make it as personal as possible and include important medical information. But I think a lot of it, it was really just like watching someone go through it, almost like you don't always need words. Like I show myself giving myself my first shot, which was like, you know, my hands were shaking. I was kind of like giggling because I was nervous. You know, I just wanted people to see me as vulnerable as possible. And then after when after you've done the first and you look back when you're like halfway through and you're like, just it's so quick when the first, when the first <laughs> I mean, I did my first one in a toilet as a, as a I was hosting an event. An right. Event. You know, you laugh at yourself and you look back, but at the time, like it's just terrifying. But that's brilliant that you managed to document it, and I, I, I really hope that you know you, you, you feel proud of it as well. As well, it's, it's just brilliant to capture it. Oh, I definitely do feel proud. I think at first it was really scary um, for other people to see it, but then you know, I just felt like, wow, you know, I worked really hard to get this thing done and to put it out there, and especially when, you know, when people say positive things and I get um, nice accolades, it makes me feel like, okay, I did this thing and it's helping other people or it's opening other people's eyes to maybe just a story that they have not heard before or maybe a life experience that, you know, their path hasn't taken or isn't going to take. All right. Well, look, we will keep in touch and I will put all the details of your website and your Twitter handle and what have you on the show notes so people can just find out a bit more about you and and follow you. And yeah, I look forward to speaking again soon. Okay, great. Thank you. And just one little note. Most of the time people like when I my name is in print, I go by Jennifer Frappier. So if someone Googles my name, like that's what my website will come up as Jennifer Frappier. Okay, well, we'll put the website on the show notes too so everyone can find you. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. All right, you take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Jennifer Frappier there. I'm going to put the details of her website, as she said. So if you Google her, you get her name spelled right and everything on the show notes for this episode, which which are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash chill. 
I'm going to continue to make these nice and short so they're easy for you to remember if you're on the move. I said I'd give you my email if you'd like to get in touch with any feedback on anything that you've heard in this podcast, which is natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. If you'd like to sign up to my newsletter, you can do that whilst visiting the show notes at thefertilitypodcast.com. You can also subscribe in iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And I'm going to keep reminding you of all the different ways you can get in touch because it's really great to know that I have your support. And if you're interested in leaving me a review in iTunes, if that's something that you maybe want to do in your workday or on your phone, however you listen to your podcast, it's always massively appreciated. Now, my next episode is going to be having a look at the male factor but actually not just the issue of male infertility but how you can go about checking and finding out if there is a problem so I'm really interested to speak to some experts in that field and uh, I hope you'll find it interesting too until the next time 